Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. And if I will enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, <clears throat> If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that, that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the precious Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for another privilege that you have given that I might be able to stand before this people and preach your holy Word. Lord, I realize what a tremendous responsibility this is, what a privilege it is, but I pray, God, for divine help. Lord, we need you today, as always. We need your touch. We need your wisdom, your power. And I pray you'd help me to be a blessing, to be a help to the people today. I pray that I'd say what ought to be said. Bless our time together. Save any who are lost in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a familiar scripture. Uh, I've preached different messages from uh, this story about the rich young ruler. And, of course, his coming and his sadly he went away without the Lord. But I want to speak, uh, and we'll refer to this uh, some in the message. I, I want to bring a message, things God will not do. Now, I believe God is omnipotent, which means God is all-powerful. God can do anything. But there are things God will not do. And uh, He limits Himself by His own sovereign will. And the uh, first thing I want us to look at today is God will not force a person to be saved. I've, I've heard people testify before, uh, you know, I got under such conviction I had to get saved. Well, I know what that conviction is, but I do not believe that God forces a person to be saved. I believe that man has a choice. There are those, of course, who... I believe that, uh, that uh, some are uh, predestined to be saved and some are predestined to be lost. And if you're in the group that is predestined to be saved, you have to get saved. You can't help it. I do not believe that is in line with the, with the Scripture. 
Now, the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and the Bible says here in verse 22 that he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's look at the story a little more here. Uh, the, the rich young ruler says, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? That's the question that, that many ask today. What good thing shall I do? Uh, the, the Philippian jailer says, What must I do to be saved? And the only thing you uh, and I can do is believe. Right. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But the Lord is teaching him. He gives him a list of the commandments. And you will notice that every commandment has to do with your neighbor. The Ten Commandments, it begins with, Thy shall have no other gods before me. Thy shall not make unto thee any graven image. And the commandments dealing with their relationship with God. And then the last part of the commandments, their relationship with one another. And he deals with that aspect of the law. And the rich uh, young man here said, uh, All these have I kept from my youth up. Well, he uh, certainly was a good boy, wasn't he? Uh, he a lot of, had a lot of good qualities about him. Uh, I wonder how many of us could say, could answer in that way as we look over those commandments. Of course, the Lord begins to pin him down. In reality, in reality, he had not kept all the commandments as he said he had. He was guilty of the commandment of covetousness and uh, because his money was his God and uh, the Lord uses that and said, uh, go sell what you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You know something? the Lord allowed him to walk away. And if a man is intent on going to hell, God will allow him to go. God doesn't want him to go. But the Lord will not force a man to be saved. In John 5, 40, he says, You will not come to me that you might have life. And that's the reason people are not saved is they will not come to Christ. You will not come to me that you might have life. Now the invitation is to whosoever will, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God has opened wide the door. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, he said, The spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that hears say, Come. And let him that is at thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life free. God says if man will come, you, uh, man can come. He opens the door and said, Whosoever will, you can enter this door. And uh, God's opened the door. But listen, God will not force a man through the door. Man has to come to Christ on the invitation. Now, he will not force a person to be saved. The Bible tells us in Hosea 4, 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. Yeah. And what a sad predicament to be. And I believe there are people in the world today that God has left alone. Right. No conviction. Sometimes I talk to people and there's no conviction. I remember an illustration I could give you. It happened many years ago now. When I was pastor in Maiden, there was a man that started coming to our church. 
and uh, he would sit on the back row every time he came. Uh, and and I, I preached, and as I would preach, he got under deep conviction. But he would not respond to that invitation. You know, after a while, all the conviction evidently left. I could see no evidence of conviction. In fact, when I preached, he would, he would sit back there and, and kind of grin, you know, at different things. When I would talk about hell or, or things of that nature, all the conviction had departed. I believe that a person can go too far. I believe a person can say no so long until the Bible says God said Ephraim is joined to his idols. Talking about uh, Israel there, the, nor the uh, northern kingdom. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone, God says. Let him alone. And the book of Chronicles said that, uh, uh, that uh, they rejected the Lord until there was no remedy. God will not force a person to be saved. Second of all, God will not save a person apart from Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear on that. The rich young ruler, he thought he could be saved by doing something. But you can't be saved outside of Christ. You can't be saved without Jesus Christ. Question about the Jews. And I love the Jewish people. But as long as the Jewish person rejects Jesus Christ, they will die in their sin. Jesus says, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. People say, preacher, you're too dogmatic. You're too narrow-minded. It's because I preach from a narrow-minded book, I guess. I preach from a Bible that is very clear when it comes to salvation. It's Jesus or hell. It's Jesus to be lost forever. And uh, regardless of how we want to paint the picture and, and, and say there's some other way. There's a pretty popular preacher on television that says the Jews doesn't have to be saved. They don't have to receive Christ. They can be saved without Christ. That man is a false prophet. A person has to, has to receive Christ. A person, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no other way of salvation except from Jesus Christ, except through him. Then thirdly, and this may surprise us a little bit, but God will not make you serve him. Even as a believer, even as a Christian. God won't force you. God will not make you serve the Lord. Now this rich young ruler of the Lord said to him, uh, If I will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, give to the poor, and, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And that's the, that's the call I believe in, in every Christian's life. Is, is a call after he saves you is to serve him. 
But if you, if you won't serve him, God won't make you serve him. God called me to preach. God didn't make me preach. I've heard preachers testify that, and then, of course, that's, that's, uh, that's them when they're calling the Lord. I don't know, but God called me, and uh, it's just like when the, Lord, when the Lord called Peter, James, and John there and says, come and follow me, and they left their nets and followed him. I don't think the Lord forced them. I don't think, I don't think they had to follow him. I don't think they had to give up fishing. I believe that it's, it's, it's a matter of choice. Now, I'm glad that I did, <laughs> you know, but God will not force a person to follow us. Zacchaeus willingly followed Jesus after he came down out of the tree. We're to be motivated by love. 2 Corinthians 5.14 said, The love of Christ constraineth us. Not our love for him, but his love for us ought to constrain us. I want, you to, I want to give an illustration. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the illustration of Lot, 2 Peter 2, then I'm going back to Genesis 19. But in 2 Peter 2 and verse uh, 7 and 8, well, verse 6 says, And, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example uh, unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot vexed with a filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now, uh, Lot here was a righteous man according to verse 8. He was saved. He was a righteous man. Yet the Bible said here that he was vexed with a filthy conversation of the wicked. And this word vex means to try or to be tested. He was tried. He was tested with a filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelt among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And uh, back in Genesis 19, I want you to look at, a, uh, look at this story a little bit closer here without me just telling it to you. But, uh, of course, uh, if, if you read before this chapter, this chapter deals with the destruction of Psalm Gomorrah, but if you read the account, uh, uh, Abraham, uh, or Lot, was the nephew of Abraham. And uh, they both uh, became uh, quite wealthy. And uh, they had large herds, and there was strife between the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the herdmen of Abram's cattle, and and uh, Abram, uh, of course, uh, goes to Lot and says, we're brethren, we're kinfolk, uh, as we would say it. Uh, don't, let's not have this strife. And you choose the right hand, I'll take the left. You take the left, I'll take the right. Gives you a little bit of insight into the character of Abram. And the Bible said that Lot beheld the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, and he lifted up his eyes, he saw, he chose the plain of Jordan, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And when you read the account here in chapter 19, he's got a job in Sodom. Now how does this happen to a, to a believer? You know, I've watched it over the years. 
That used to be people that sit in this church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and went on visitation, went soul winning, that don't even go to church anywhere today. Now you tell me how that happens. I'll tell you how it happens. It happened just like it happened a lot. Gradually. Little by little, step by step, until a person uh, is uh, engulfed by this world system. This is what happened a lot. And of course, when it comes time to, to uh, destroy the city, I want you to look at verse ni- uh, 14 of chapter 19 of Genesis. And Law went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Listen, this man had lost his testimony. And that can happen to you, it can happen to me. We become so entangled with the world. Let me ask you a question. Does the people you work around know there's something different about you? They ought to. We ought to be a testimony. Here is Lot, going to his sons-in-law, and he seemed as one that mocked. They laughed at him. As Lot probably relates the story, you know, there's two angels of God over at my house, and they are getting ready to destroy the city. <laughs> Lot, <laughs> angels at your house? I can just imagine how they react. They mocked him. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And notice verse 60, And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife, upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. Listen, they almost had to drag him out. He didn't want to go. While he lingered. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thy in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto him, Oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. Thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it's a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul, my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Now here's a righteous man lingering in Sodom that's about to be rained upon with fire and brimstone out of heaven. Here's a man lingering in the city. And here's a, he said, go to the mountain. He said, oh, Lord, don't. I can't go to the mountain. Some evil will befall me. Oh, over here's a little city. It's just a little one. You can spare this little city. Let me go over there. Lord said, okay, I'll let you go. You read the story on, and he has to leave the city. And he goes to the cave, and the tragic end of the story of Lot. His daughters make him drunk. 
incestuous a relationship with his own daughters. You say, could a saved man get that low? Could a saved man get that far away from God? Well, it's right in the Bible. I didn't say he was righteous. If I'd read this story and uh, you'd say was Lot saved without the other scripture, I'd say, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't believe so. But the Bible said he was a righteous man. He vexed his righteous soul. And folks, today, we better pray that God will see us through this thing. And but for the grace of God, we'd all be away from God and out of fellowship with God. Uh, God will not force you to serve Him. And listen, we need to dedicate ourselves to the Lord and we need, to, we need to make that break with the world and not try to hang on with the world with one hand, hang on to God with the other hand and say, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to serve the world. We need to make that complete break as a lot needed to do and just, uh, just turn loose of the world right. and dedicate oneself wholly to God. Was it, was it D.L. Moody, one of those great men? Uh, someone, someone said, uh, it remains to be seen what God will do with one man that is totally yielded to Jesus Christ. Right. And he said, by God's grace, I'll be that man. And he dedicated himself totally and completely to God and won over a million souls to Jesus Christ. You know why God doesn't use us more than he does? Because many times we're not willing to pay the price. We're not willing to make that break with this world system. God wants us to serve him, but he will not make us serve him. Then there's another thought. God does not always heal our sickness, and I need to clarify that as far as in, in, the, in the, the present day. Because the Bible does say in Psalm 103, verse 3, who healeth all thy diseases, and I believe that. Uh, you know, it seems to be a contradiction, but... Uh, but it really is not. He heals us. If he takes us home to heaven, we're healed forever, and I understand that. But he may not always heal us in this life. Now, we want to be healed. Uh, you know, I don't want to be sick. I don't like to be sick. Do you? <laughs> if I'm sick, I, uh, you know, I want to get better. And, uh, but sometimes... God may not see fit to heal you. And I've had some physical problems for three or four years now. The doctors don't even know what's causing it. And uh, I don't understand it. And I've asked the Lord quite a bit about it. But sometimes we need a thorn in the flesh to keep us where God wants us to be. And Paul had that, and, and we have illustrations in the Bible of, of God healing, and God does heal. And I've seen the Lord heal. I've seen the Lord heal uh, instantly. I've seen that happen in answer to prayer. And sometimes I've, God's, I've seen God heal uh, over time. I've seen God use medicine and doctors to bring about healing. And, uh, but then there have been other cases God did not heal in this life. Some of the greatest Christians that I've ever known 
God did not heal them. They got sick and ultimately died. And the people prayed for them just as earnestly and sincerely as they prayed for others, and yet they were not healed. And I have a problem with these TV evangelists that, that uh, you know, if, if, if you're not healed, it, uh, uh, you, you must not have any faith. Uh, or you must not be praying. I've known people that had, had, as, much, had as much faith as, uh, as, as anyone else. And, and there was sincere praying for that person, yet they were not healed. God could heal, couldn't he? I mean, God can heal anything. He healed leprosy. He opened blinded eyes. He opened deaf ears. When he was upon this earth, there was no disease upon earth that he couldn't take care of. We think of people getting cancer. My sister died. My mother died with cancer. My sister died with cancer. And she wanted so much to, to live and to be healed. And I wanted so much for her to live and be healed. And there were multitudes of people praying. But God did not heal her in this world. Could God have healed her? Absolutely. But God did not see fit to do it. Was God unjust? No. She's better off than she would ever have been in this world. As far as that goes. Now God does heal. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 24 through 30, I'll not take the time to turn there and read, but Epaphroditus was healed. In Acts, in Acts 19, verse 11 and 12, the Bible says God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from him handkerchiefs and, and so forth were prayed over and, and sent to the sick and they were healed. But I don't think they came with a letter. Put this under your pillow and send me a hundred dollars. But that was the supernatural healing of God, and God healed them. In Acts chapter 20, he raised Eutychus from the dead. And uh, so uh, you have these illustrations in, in the New Testament days. That is, after Jesus went back to heaven. We know Jesus healed numbers of times. We don't know how many times he healed, but he healed multitudes of people. And after he went back to heaven in the days of the apostles, we have these instances of supernatural healing. Right. And some of these uh, racketeers or whatever you want to call them, these uh, uh, people, you know, I think, I think sometimes it's somewhat destroyed our faith and we wonder if God heals any. Listen, God can and God does heal. But God doesn't always heal. Have I left at my leadum sick? Why didn't he heal him? Epaphroditus was healed. Eutychus was raised from the dead. That is, that's a story where Paul preached. He was long preaching. And Eutychus sitting in the window and he went to sleep and fell out. And they took him up dead. And Paul went down and raised him up. Finished his sermon. Preached the rest of the night. 
It doesn't say. I don't believe that fellow went to sleep, do you? But Paul raised him from the dead. And yet he says about Trophimus, I've left him at Miletum sick. I left him there sick. If God heals everybody, why didn't he heal him? The Apostle Paul himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 had a thorn in the flesh, and he said, I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Basically, he says, Paul, I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to give you the grace to bear it. And, uh, you know, God may not always heal us, but if he doesn't heal us, he'll uh, give us the grace to bear it. Don't you believe that? I know that. And so if it's God's will that we have an infirmity, if it's God's will that we have a physical ailment, then we ought to pray, and there's nothing wrong with praying for healing. You say, well, it must not be God's will for me to be healed. Well, that doesn't mean you pray one time, God don't heal you. Well, it must not be God's will I be healed. Well, not necessarily. It may not be God's will to hear you that day, but he may hear you down the road. So just keep on praying. And uh, I heard one preacher uh, said, uh, if God doesn't answer our prayer, then God, God may change our prayer. And sometime we need to change our prayer that God would provide us grace. But uh, he had this thorn in the flesh. You have in 2 Kings chapter 13 the story of Elisha there. The Bible said he was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. Here's uh, Elisha, father of Elijah. He won a double portion. He performed twice as many miracles as Elijah. He raised the Shunammite's son from the dead. Here's a man that uh, can make an axe float, axe head. Uh, God did it, of course, but God used him. He could heal the poison waters and the poison pottage and, and uh, he performed all these miracles that God did it through him and yet he died of a sickness. God didn't heal him. And there's an interesting story in that chapter. The Moabites had invaded the land. They was having a, having a, a battle going on there. And this fellow died, and they were burying him. Of course, sometimes in war, you know, they buried people right, had to bury them in mass graves, water. But this fellow, you know, died, and, and they pitched him in the sepulcher of Elijah, Elisha there. And when he touched the bones, the bones of Elijah, he, he rose from the dead. Right. <laughs> Talk about a man that had, had power. <laughs> Even his bones. <laughs> uh, and yet... He fell sick of a sickness whereof he died. We're all going to leave here, folks, one way or another. I have my rathers. <laughs> I'd rather go on the rapture. That's what I'd rather do, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd rather go. Paul said, we'll not all sleep, but we, we'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. And that's what I'd rather happen. But uh, that's been the hope and the desire of every previous generation. And we may not be able to experience that. All of us may not. I believe some of us definitely will. And I hope I'm a part of that. But I don't have any guarantee of that.
And if I had to, uh, if I have to die physically, then I think it'd be nice to, uh, you know, just go to sleep and have a heart attack and wake up in heaven. To me, that'd be wonderful. I'd rather do that and have a long, lingering illness. But I may need to have a long, lingering illness to glorify God, to help someone else. If it could, if it could, help, if it could help some folks be saved down the road, if through some lingering illness others could come to know Jesus Christ and I could glorify God, then uh, that's all right. God would give grace to bear it. And uh, my desire, I don't want to, to dishonor the Lord. I trust that whatever may come in my life, that I will not dishonor God in that in any way. So, God does not always heal us in this life. And then finally, last point, God will not remember our sins against us. And I, I praise God for this. He won't remember our sins against us. There's a song that says, what sins are you talking about? Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, God knows everything, doesn't he? God knows everything about the past, everything about the present, everything about the future, but God has chosen not to remember our sins. Right. I'm glad God's memory is uh, shorter than people sometimes. You know, it's amazing. The thing that's amazed me over the years is, is uh, you know, you can be a friend of somebody and kind to of someone and and uh, try to treat a person right. Maybe over a number of years, I've seen this happen in in families and and in situations. And you cross them one time, you do one thing that bothers them that they don't like. And they forget all about the pre, the, the, you know, what's gone on before. And uh, they have become your enemy. I'm so glad that God isn't like that. He does not remember our sins against us. And I believe as, as, as a lost person, if God has forgiven us, if we have owned up to our sin and God has forgiven us, then he's forgiven us and forgotten those sins. And I believe that even as a believer, if I fail the Lord as a believer and I honestly confess it before God, that God doesn't hold that over my head. I believe he does not remember it against us anymore. In Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And so we have this wonderful promise. God said, I will not remember their sins. And so if you're saved, God's forgiven you. Sometimes, sometimes the, uh, the past life, you know, is kind of like an albatross hanging around their neck. You know, and I, I was reading not long ago, 
reminded of something I'd heard and read before, but, uh, but uh, uh, you know, if a particular crime was committed, that they would take the dead body and hang it around this person and make them carry that dead body around. So that body decayed, and, and you can imagine the, you know, what that must have been like. And uh, sometimes we carry around the guilt of the past, and we carry this heavy burden around, and what we need to do is just cast it off. Kind of like in Pilgrim's Progress, we need to burden this to roll off and, and, and be gone. Uh, this burden of sin, God will not remember it against us anymore. Let's bow our heads, please.